Well, before I get started, I just want to extend a warm welcome to our guests with us. And uh, if you are here for the first time or not here for the first time and you've been here for a while, take the red pew pads. We, we called them at my last church love pads. Uh, so pass the love pads, if you will, sign in there. But let's, uh, let's get started. Have you ever heard of Rachel Fredrickson? You heard of that name? She won season 15 of The Biggest Loser and holds the record for body weight percentage loss on the show. She lost just shy of 60% of herself on the show. Uh, She told Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show, I dieted, I exercised, and did it healthy the whole way. That's a really impressive turnaround. Um, The Biggest Loser has inspired many people to live healthier lives. You watch people face their fears, problems, and weaknesses as they transform right there on the show, and and they get healthier. Transformation is exciting, and that's why millions of people watch the show. The principles of maintaining a, a healthy weight are really quite simple, but as we all know, not easy. Why? Because it's easier to sit than it is to run. But those who run experience countless rewards, and it's really worth it. And becoming a healthy church is is similar. Uh, It's not extremely complicated, but it is extremely difficult. It's hard work. It's easier to sit, to do the church routine than it is to run and to break outside of the four walls of church on Sunday morning and really impact a community for Christ. A lot of grace and a lot of sweat are needed to do that. Last week, we covered four essentials of a healthy church. Healthy churches keep the gospel at the center of everything. They love and worship God from the heart with excitement and devotion. They prioritize and enjoy preaching, teaching, and applying the Bible, and they adhere to sound biblical doctrine and theology. So let's keep going. Let's just jump right in. A healthy church, number five, develops, appoints, and submits to qualified and healthy elders who lead and shepherd. Develops, appoints, and submits to qualified and healthy leaders who, elders rather, who lead and shepherd. We'll spend most of our time on this point this morning. Every healthy church has healthy leadership. This is a very significant point for three very significant reasons. Number one, God has described church leadership in His Word. And he'll bless us if we obey his word. Number two, we have some great leaders here at Jerusalem Church. However, Jerusalem Church has used an unbiblical leadership structure for years. And number three, God is calling us to align our leadership structure with his word. Now, please consider this point very carefully because you as a congregation are an active part of helping us become healthy in this area. A few years ago, some problems with our leadership structure began to surface. Under the good leadership of Pastor Tim Heritage and others, you all began to work through some of those issues together as a church. You studied the Bible together, prayed together discussed, asked questions, and began on the road to better leadership health by making some significant changes to better align with God's word. 
before I ever came to Jerusalem church, I was hearing about what God was doing in Jerusalem church, and I was amazed at, at the hand of the Holy Spirit, the clear blessing that God had on this church. Back in this year, March of April of this year, during the simple meals, I taught ex- extensively on biblical leadership. The leading elders and consistory have studied and discussed leadership. So this material is probably a review for you, but it's so crucial to a healthy church that it bears repeating. What does the Bible really say about church leadership? I'll cut right to the chase. God's leadership design is a plurality of elders or a group of qualified men who lead oversee, govern, shepherd, and love and care for a congregation. The plurality of elders began in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, God told Moses to gather the elders of Israel, to relay a message to them, and then it says in verse 18, you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. In Numbers eleven sixteen, God said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Much later, Ezekiel seven twenty six mentions counsel from the elders. Elders led Israel and are mentioned many other times in the Old Testament. Elders are also very present in the New Testament. In the Gospels, the elders are often mentioned alongside of chief, chief priests and scribes as powerful men in first century Judaism. In the New Testament church, there were no kings. There were no priests. Uh, there were no judges. So the question is, who led them? Who did God intend to lead the local church? Turn in your Bibles to Acts 14. Acts 14. And as you turn, a little background. Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch. People believed and formed local churches in these cities. Paul and Barnabas strengthened and encouraged the Christians in the faith, these churches, and in Acts 14, verse 23, so look at verse 23, it mentions that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church. They appointed a group of men to lead Every local church. Now, turn to Titus 1. Toward Revelation, toward the back of your Bibles. Titus 1. Titus was Paul's true child in the common faith. And Paul left Titus on the beautiful island of Crete so that he might set some things in order. An important responsibility. Christians lived in the different towns of Crete. Um, and Titus had a job to do. And this is what Paul told Titus. Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Every place there is a gathering of Christians, there should also be a group of qualified elders leading that local church. Biblically qualified men, not just any man, biblically qualified men. God gives us extensive qualifications, 23, around 23 uh, different ones in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And uh, 
Most of them are character-based, the heart and life of a man. So I encourage you to study, carefully study those chapters, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Healthy churches don't simply appoint elders, they appoint qualified elders. What does the Bible say elders are to do in the church? This is very, very important. Most churches have elders. I don't know if that's true, but they have some form of, of leadership structure. So many churches have elders at least, but not necessarily biblical eldership. Often the structure and function of the elders are unbiblical. Turn to Acts 20. Acts 20. Paul was in Miletus, and verse 17 says that Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So understand what was happening in Acts 20, 17. Paul is, is sending report to Ephesus. He's saying, elders from Ephesus, I want you to come, and they are coming to him. Now jump down to verse 28, Acts 20, verse 28. Paul told those elders... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders should pay careful attention to themselves and all the flock. They should oversee the church and care for the church, which is the verb form of shepherd or pastor. Biblical elders are not domineering authoritarians, clenching all the authority that they can get. Jesus actually prohibited that, so authoritarianism in the eldership would be very unwise for the church. Who gave the elders this responsibility? Take a look at the text. Who gave it to them? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God gives pastoral care and oversight to a group of qualified servant leaders. Turn to 1 Peter 5. I'm getting you to go all over the place. This is good for you, though. Turn to 1 Peter 5, almost at Revelation. Peter was writing to Christians from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And in verse 1, as an elder, he addressed the elders among those churches and told them this. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice the three duties that Peter assigns to elders. Number one, shepherd the flock, pastor the people. Number two, eagerly and willingly oversee them, never domineer. In verse 3, Peter uses the phrase, in your charge, which means God entrusts the local church to their elders. And number three, elders are to be examples of godliness for the people. It's like what Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That should be the spirit of the elders. This is why it is so, so important to appoint a team of elders who live exemplary lives and love and obedience to Christ. Elders should serve in many ways, but I want to draw your attention to one more important biblical responsibility. Elders govern. They rule. Another meaning of shepherd. 
Christ has authority and he dispenses it to the local church through appointed qualified elders. Turn to 1 Timothy 5.17. I hope you're all turning. I see some heads not looking down at the text when I'm saying it. And this is important for you to turn in your Bibles and to see it for yourself in the text. So I'm chastising you a little bit if you're not having your Bibles open. Get them open. This is part of how you worship. All right. Enough of that. I will tenderly move on as a pastor. All right. I want God to reveal this to you. I want you to see it in the text. Again, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy as he leads the church of Ephesus. 1 Timothy 5.17. Thank you. 5.17. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, just give us time and we do it. All right. I'll own that, but we need to keep moving or we'll be here all day. Verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The word for rule is proestotes, meaning to direct or to get out in front and to lead like a shepherd. God gives a group of elders, not just one elder, a group of elders, the responsibility in the local church to lead and govern. The responsibility is vested in the group, not the individuals of the group. There's a big difference there. This pleases God and benefits the church. Now, a quick word on deacons. Nowhere in Scripture is leading authority, oversight, or governance assigned to deacons. Not in there. Won't find it. You could search from beginning to end. Deacon means helper. In Philippians 1.1, deacons are differentiated from overseers. Two different offices. There is a list of qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, so if you study that this week, you'll see that, but it's different from the qualifications for elders and excludes the ability to teach or refute bad doctrine or unhealthy doctrine. In Acts 6, seven qualified men were chosen to assist the apostles. So healthy churches may have deacons, but they are appointed by the congregation to assist the elders in some details of church and ministry life. God gives them no leading authority. One more question before we apply this to Jerusalem. How should a healthy church respond to the elders over them? It's clear in Scripture. Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Every healthy church imitates the faith of their healthy leaders. Then in verse 17 it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. Let them do it with joy. And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A healthy church obeys its leaders. A healthy church submits to its leaders and makes it a joy for those leaders, those elders, to keep watch over their souls as those who will give an account. It is to the advantage of the healthy church to joyfully obey and submit to their leaders. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 is also helpful. It says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So God wants the the healthy church to respect, esteem, and love their elders. And part of that is being at peace with one another. Do you know how it blesses elders when the people dwell in unity and peace? God never said to put elders on a pedestal thinking they're somehow better. He never even said to idolize them. He never said have a laity clergy distinction. Respect, esteem, and love is what he said. Now, you might be thinking, this is easy for you to say, Pastor, because you're one of the elders. You're right. You're right. This is a dangerous sermon for me, or at least this point. You're right. But consider this. God calls a healthy church to the plurality of elders, meaning each individual elder must also submit to his fellow elders. God calls everyone to submission, including the elders. Let me give you an example of that. As the pastor and lead elder of Jerusalem, let's say I'm excited to start a new ministry at Jerusalem. And I take the idea to the elders. I'm really pumped up. I lay it out for them in a meeting. And they respond, Jonathan, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's not biblical. It's unhelpful. And you might hurt yourself. We don't think it's a good idea, but we're starting to think a straitjacket is a good idea. <laughs> just, just hold tight. Now, what should I do? What should I do? To please God, I need to submit to my elders. I don't think anyone in this church appreciates the authority, accountability, and oversight of the elders more than I do. I need their authority in my life. I need their accountability. I need to submit to them. And so do you. And we're not going to be healthy until that permeates our church. Submission is beautiful. Think about this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, the God-man, submitted to Joseph and Mary, his earthly parents, who were fallen and sinful. Now, how do you work that out? Jesus modeling submission by submitting to his earthly parents. And he did that because it honored his heavenly father who he loved. He was perfect. They were not, yet he submitted. Wow, just think about the implications of that. We know in our heart that leadership and submission are essential to anything healthy. We know that. Some police officers absolutely are corrupt, but I know very few people who are arguing for anarchy and shutting down the police station. It was God's idea to appoint elders, and he instructs local churches to follow their elders, never blindly, never without biblical discernment, but always humbly and just like Jesus. We need qualified elders to be a healthy church, period. Now, what about us? Some of you might be thinking, we have good elders. We're doing this, Jonathan. Why do we need to talk about change or restructuring? And I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. What leadership structure does Jerusalem really have? 
Our Constitution says the consistory, quote, shall have jurisdiction and oversight of the congregation and all its organizations. Now understand that according to our Constitution, the consistory is composed of the pastor, elders, and and on a normal basis, mostly deacons. For many years, the consistory has had leading authority and oversight, and the elders, as a separate entity, did very, very little. In addition, both elders and deacons were chosen based upon open spots and the willingness of those people to serve and not on biblical qualifications. Now, that's not to say that the members of consistory were not qualified. It's to say that their election was based upon, not based upon, biblical qualifications. Does that raise concern inside of you? Here are four of my concerns that you may or may not agree with. Number one, nowhere in the Bible does God assign leading or governing authority or oversight to deacons. It's just not in the Bible. God assigns it to a plurality of elders. Number two, nowhere in the Bible is there a leadership body composed of elders and deacons that together hold leading and governing authority in the local church. We do see, however, a plurality of elders in the Bible. Number three, the Bible is clear that deacons serve a purpose different from elders. Deacons are appointed to assist the elders under the elders' authority, Acts 6. And number four, the Bible puts great emphasis on extensive qualifications for elders and deacons which have largely been ignored by Jerusalem church. For many years. For many years, tradition has trumped God's word in this area of leadership structure here at Jerusalem Church. That doesn't make us a bad church. That doesn't mean we have bad leaders. Our church is alive, and we have some great leaders in this church that we want to utilize even more. What this does mean is that we haven't been faithful to God's word and are unhealthy when it comes to leadership structure and function. Hang with me here. From a historical perspective, the tradition that has shaped our current structure is relatively new. It's a new model. Because if you go back in our history to the Reformation and German Reformed Church and the Reformed Church in the United States and the Evangelical and Reformed Church, which span hundreds of years, you'd find an elder-led structure. Our leadership structure is a modern invention influenced by the liberalism that crept in through all the mergers of denominations through the years. Now, test my history on this, but I think our leadership structure developed within the last 57 to 80 years or so. Through the years, we have moved away from our heritage, our longest tradition, our deepest roots, and we need to not only get back to our roots, but we need to get back to what the Bible says our leadership structure should be. We must bring back leadership by a plurality of elders to align with God's word. Now, is this an attempt for the elders to seize authority, to grab it up and to usher in a new age of religious despotism? Drink the Kool-Aid. You know where I'm going with that? Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. This is an attempt to align ourselves with God's word and to serve Christ and the local church more faithfully. 
It has to do with serving you and serving Christ. We need more qualified men to serve as elders, but we need to have the qualified men first. It's not just this little tight group and you're on the outside, we're on the inside, and we're running the church. That's just such not the biblical spirit. The biblical spirit is we need more men to rise to the occasion, more men to be qualified elders, because we need leaders in his church. And this is not to say that women don't lead. Women absolutely lead. We need them to lead as well in proper roles as Scripture defines it. Jesus cares a great deal about our leadership structure and we want to please Him. That's why we need to talk about it and be open with one another and and do this as a team. We have some great leadership at Jerusalem. Great leaders. We want to develop more leaders. We want to grow our leaders. But we also have some misconceptions about the Bible and what leadership looks like. Practically, we need to carefully consider this as a church. Um, You received a handout today, I think, that the the elders, uh, or not elders, ushers, gave to you. And uh, make sure that you study this. I'm asking you to study it, to pour over it, actually. Make sure you understand what the Bible says about leadership in the church. If we honor God in our leadership structure, I know God will bless this church even more. God greatly uses obedient churches. You may find this very thing, this is this very leadership topic, the catalyst for a lot of spiritual growth in your own life. This may actually kickstart it. Behind every vibrant and growing church is biblical servant leadership. It's that important. It's essential to the growth of the church. Let's move on. A healthy church, number six, knows what it is, where it's headed, and why. This week I sat in on a, uh, a church revitalization seminar that was attached to our presbytery meeting. It was in the morning before we got business going. And, and uh, Dr. Ken Pretty, uh, who works on church revitalization, uh, was the presenter. And he made a biblical observation that I'm not sure I ever connected in my mind before. That, you ever have that happen where you're like, oh, why didn't I see that before when you're reading the scripture? And so he made this connection. In Genesis 1, there were no people. And then all of a sudden, God created two people, and he told them something very specific, be fruitful and multiply. Key word, multiply. Jump to Revelation 21, it describes the new heaven and new earth, a celestial city filled with people, a multitude of people, and God is living among those people. How do we get from no people to a multitude of people? How does that happen? Multiplication. Multiplication, and not just in the, uh, the aspect of procreation, but also of regeneration. God saving people to be in heaven, to dwell with him forever. A multitude of people. There will be a multitude of people in the heavenly city because throughout history, God saves people through the ministry and multiplication of the church. The church is God's people. They are headed to God to enjoy and worship Him forever for His glory and for their eternal joy. The healthy church knows all that. But the healthy church also knows what they are here on earth until then. Where they're headed as far as mission is concerned and why God gave them a mission in the first place. 
Here's what I mean. Jesus said about the church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. A healthy church understands that they are the light of Christ in the world now, shining out. That is what we are to do. And And a healthy church knows it still exists in the world to shine the gospel of Jesus everywhere so that people are saved and they can populate the celestial city and be with us. And and I think just a, a side note, stepping away from the notes, when you are talking with people in evangelism, one of the most powerful things is to to make sure they know, I want you with me. I want you with me in this celestial city to to worship Jesus forever. I don't want you to perish in hell. I want you to come and I want you to know Christ so that you can be with us. Be with me. I want you with me. That's why I'm telling you this. Let that drive our evangelism. I want you with me. Healthy churches make it their mission to multiply. Michael Griffiths wrote a book entitled God's Forgetful Pilgrims. Haven't read the book. But this one quote is fantastic. Listen to this. Christians, collectively, seem to be suffering from a strange amnesia. A high proportion of people who go to church have forgotten what it's all for. Week by week, they attend services in a special building and go through their particular time-honored routine, but give little thought to the purpose of what they are doing. I wonder if that's your story. You've just been punching a time card and have no idea what this is even about. How sad that would be. Have we forgotten what church is all about? It's about worshiping and enjoying God. When we sing these songs, and Tim, I just want to thank you for that song, His Robes for Mine. If you're paying attention to the words, your heart should just be soaring for what Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Thank the Lord that we can rejoice together with songs like that just to say, yes, Jesus, I'm enjoying you by singing this. But so many people on this planet, they don't worship God. They don't enjoy God. Which brings us to the next point. Every healthy church, number seven, devotes itself to God's mission of evangelism and discipleship. Every healthy church devotes itself to God's mission of evangelism and discipleship. This is really a continuation of the last point. Healthy churches make God's mission their mission. They devote themselves to winning people to Christ and nurturing those people to maturity in Christ. John Piper said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that. When a church gets behind God's mission to save people, when it really knows where it's headed and why, God will use them in exciting ways. I think, it's just my hunch, that God is bringing Jerusalem church into a a time maybe like none other in its history, a time of more focus, more faithfulness, more fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. I just have a hunch that that's happening. But he has to work it in your heart first. It has to start with you. To get on board of God's mission. Churches come alive when they're on God's mission. Turn to Matthew 28. A well-known passage. Matthew 28. The Great Commission is about making disciples. Matthew 28. The Great Commission. In Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus met with the 11 disciples. Judas uh, wasn't with them at that point. 
And he told them this in verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The main point of those verses is make disciples. That's the main point. Multiply. The mission of every healthy church is to multiply by making disciples. The process is simple. We go, we serve people and share the gospel. When people are saved, we baptize them and their children. And then we teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught. That's discipleship and that's multiplication. God calls us to do many things as a church, but it's easy to forget what mission he has given us. You know, I just think of the guys that are like in the military and they're given a mission and they're so sold out to that mission. It's clear, it's been articulated what they're doing. You know, they're like the Navy SEALs. You send them in, boom, they do the work. They get out, they're amazing. But they know what their mission is and they will accomplish it. They'll give their life to accomplish the mission. God has a mission for us. We cannot forget it. Multiply. Make disciples of all nations. That is what we are to do. Apply that to our church. Our mission is not to have great potlucks or to hold committee meetings or to start more programs or even to increase our attendance. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. Every healthy church disciples people for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. The last point for today, a healthy church, number eight, praise with urgency, expectation, and focus. Such an appropriate point. Healthy churches pray together. They see prayer as non-negotiable. From the first century, Christians had been gathering together to pray, to plead with God. Three simple points, urgency, expectation, and focus. Healthy churches pray with urgency. They live out 1 Thessalonians 5.17. They pray without ceasing. That's urgency. They live out Acts 2.42, which says the church devoted themselves to the prayers. That's urgency. In Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas were, they were suffering in prison for their faith. There's a bunch of other prisoners around. And at midnight, they are praying and singing hymns together. That's urgency. And and the other prisoners in there were listening to them. That's urgency. Healthy churches pray with expectation. This is a point you need to hear because this will radically encourage you this morning. They expect God to respond to their prayers. Micah said in Micah 7-7, my God will hear me. Our God hears us. John wrote, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. As a church, we must pray with expectation that God actually cares about your prayers and he hears your prayers and he can do something about your prayers. We many times feel like when we offer up our prayers, it's just going into the abyss of nothingness. Don't you feel that way sometimes? God, where are you on this? It's like you're just ignoring what I'm saying. But he gives you a promise. He hears what you pray. He's powerful and sovereign enough to respond. He cares for you. You've probably heard this famous verse before, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does that apply to America? Does that apply to our churches across America? 
Healthy churches seek the face of God through repentance and prayer, expecting God to hear, expecting God to forgive, expecting God to heal. Jesus said that if we receive whatever we ask, that we receive whatever we ask in prayer if we have faith. We've got to believe that prayer is effective, and it is. We can expect God to respond to our prayers. I love to give gifts to my kids. I love to watch their smiles. I love to watch them just light up when, when I give them something that they enjoy. I want to give my kids good things. And Jesus says this, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If you're a parent, think of the love that you have for your kid and how much you want to give them. How much more does your heavenly Father love you and say, I want to give you what you ask me for. So ask me for good things. Ask me for biblical things. Ask me for things according to my will and I will radically bless you. Two weeks ago, Tim Nichols and I, uh, Tim, we were talking and Tim shared with me how God graciously answers his prayer and gives him exactly what he needs in his time of need. And that encourages me, just talking with Tim about that. Tim's testimony has challenged me to believe God wants to give me good things. He's just a solid brother, and just that little conversation just meant something to me, to train me and teach me. You don't have to be a preacher or a teacher or a PhD candidate to impact, I mean... (laughs) With an intellect that's like, huh, and the rest of us are here. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But anyway, you don't have to be any of that to be teaching people when your testimony is faithful and it's biblical. And you let people know what God is doing. We want to create an atmosphere of of testimony here at Jerusalem Church. But very few people will face this. You know, it's like there's a poison behind here or something. Just come up and share what God's doing. We want to hear because it encourages us. So I just, healthy churches also pray with focus. They know what to pray for. So I want to give you four examples from the Bible and then bring it, bring it to a close. Number one, in Matthew 44, Jesus told us to pray for those who persecute us. My question is, how often does Jerusalem Church pray for Planned Parenthood? Or, oh, okay, yeah, that's good. I'm glad that the response was that. ACLU, the Supreme Court, who seems to be fighting Christians. Number two, Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We should pray that God raises up evangelists from this church to impact Mannheim. We should be praying for laborers, just people, just simple common people willing to step out of their comfort zone and share the gospel. And we should be praying that God raises up missionaries from our midst and that God raises up church planters to go all around the world and start new churches for his glory. We should be praying for this. Number three, Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Healthy churches pray that they stand strong amidst temptation. Are you praying, God, help me to say no? Help me to do the right thing. Are we as a church praying that we as a church do the right thing? To honor God? Number four, James 5.13, Jesus, uh, James said, rather, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Are you suffering right now? Is stuff just not really going that well? Are you in physical pain 
Is there something going on in, in your life that you don't want anybody else to know and it's hard? Pray. Pray your eyes out. Pray with tears. Let God know because he loves you and he cares. When our church goes through difficulties and we will go through difficulties, we need to pray together. Healthy churches prioritize prayer, but they don't just pray. They pray with urgency, expectation, and focus. Now, this is a lot to take in, so let me make it really simple for you. Um, And we're going to have eight more points over the next two weeks. So you'll be like, huh? What did he just say? Would you consider two simple questions? The first I heard from Dr. Ken Pretty this weekend, and I wrote it down. I tried to get it word for word, and the second one I made up and threw it in on my own. So maybe listen to Ken and take mine with a grain of salt. Um, If you left seriously thinking about these two questions, I think our road to health would be a lot faster and a lot more joyful. So please consider these two questions. Write them down if you will. Number one. In what ways have I contributed to the problems of our church? In what ways have I contributed to the problems of our church? Now let's just throw it out there. We're all broken, right? We're all sinful. So guess what? You have contributed in some way to the problems that our church faces. So have I. I've come and made a wreck of things. And I need to think about this. Number two. What is one way? One way. Not asking you to think of 12, not a dissertation, not a paper or a book. One way. I can help our church be healthier. It's just one way that I can start working to try to make Jerusalem Church a healthier church. Would you you think about those questions? I'm going to commit to thinking about these questions because I already see some real pastoral weaknesses in me that I'm contributing to the brokenness of this church. And I want to change those things to be a better pastor. All right? And you're contributing too. So I I hope you take this seriously and think. Um, Because I think they can create some momentum in our church if we start working through these things. It's simple to do. Just think about it. Let's pray. (laughs) Father in heaven, we thank you for your great grace. Uh, it, it, It takes a good bit of courage to face problems in our own lives and problems in Jerusalem church. It takes some courage to say what we know is true, that we're not a perfect church and there are things that must transform, that your grace has to touch us in some way to to help us be more faithful. And so I pray that we don't back away from those things, but that we run to those things because we want to run to Jesus and be faithful for him, for his glory. So I pray that you just start with each individual person here that's a part of Jerusalem Church to just choose one way that they can work to help make us more healthy because we want to be healthy to glorify you and that they would be very humble about the ways they've contributed to the brokenness of this church. And I pray for the people that are visitors, that are, that are guests with us this morning, that, that uh, go to other churches or, or might go to other churches, God, I pray that they would take this to their church and think through these things. Be faithful to us, God. Lead us. We want to follow our pastor, Jesus. And so I pray that you make it very clear to this church how we must grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.